Welcome to Healthcare Happenings, a One Digital Employer Advisory Podcast. It's no secret that healthcare is complicated and to prepare for the road ahead, business leaders need transparency and access to information in order to develop the best health benefit strategy. Our team of compliance leaders are here to shed light on the latest developments on the Hill and share their collective vision for ways to improve the healthcare experience. Welcome back. We are here um, with our normal crew, Samantha, Ron, Scott, and myself, Annette. And we're, we've been talking about well-being and the five areas of well-being that impact individuals. They impact their whole quality of life and their net level thriving, where they feel they're thriving in their life or if they're not. And the difference, uh, the alternative to thriving would be either struggling or suffering. And none of those are the productive ends that we want uh, any individual in our life to be going through, nor any of our employees to be going through. So we've been tackling, we started tackling these five areas of well-being that really drive an individual's thriving. Um, And they are career well-being. Basically, do you like what you do every day? Social well-being. You have meaningful uh, friendships, people who care about you in your life. Financial well-being, that you manage your money well. Physical well-being, you have energy basically to get things done. And then finally, community well-being, you really like where you live, you feel safe, you like your environment, and you like contributing to that community. So we started out by talking uh, about the career well-being because first and foremost, um, knowing that we're, we're working with our employers here, this is a huge piece and it drives a lot of people because work and purpose kind of commingle. Because our purpose for life gets commingled. And we we talked about last time that there really is no such thing as work-life balance because work is life and life is work. And that over the years, employees, this line has blurred and employees expect from their employers to help them in all areas of their life. So we really started focusing on this career piece. And um, what we want to do today is sort of wrap up the challenges with regard to career well-being and what's preventing, what are these obstacles um, to employees really achieving this thriving in, in their career. So we'll do that and then maybe talk about a few things that employers can do to sort of combat or overcome some of those obstacles. So we know that we keep uh, seeing that this is the great resignation of 2022. Um, There's lots of people making different decisions. I mean, I think COVID exacerbated this, but I want to ask uh, all of you, why are employees leaving? I think we all are taking a deep breath there, Annette. <laughs> <Because> <laughs> it's 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 a it's a big question. Um, you know, when I think about what the past year and a half uh, experience, almost two years now, has given me is 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 a, a certain level of awareness of the clock ticking. Um, when you are significantly restricted, when you're significantly uh, reduce when you have interactions that you treasure that are prohibited or um, restricted in any type of way. Uh, I think it has the perspective of, of or has the impact of giving people uh, a little bit of pause to think that, wow, you know, time is continuing to move. And I don't know necessarily that I'm, I'm living my best life um, in this restricted state. 
And I think, it, I think, you know, going through the, the, the pandemic and going through the, that experience of having interactions restricted, uh, work restricted, um, a lot of individuals were taking stock on with the clock ticking. Am I doing what I want to do? Am I giving my time to somebody that values my time the way I need to value my time? And when you ask that question, um, you, you start thinking about those does my employer really value my commitment to them? Does my employer care that I uh, am thriving at home or that I'm keeping my head above water? Does my employer, uh, is my employer aware of the challenges that I'm facing outside the office? And I think that we're seeing a lot of people answer that question, no. And that that is potentially driving the at least a piece of the great resignation. I would argue it's driving a majority of the great resignation um, is, is this awareness of I've only got one spin on this merry-go-round. How am I, how am I going to spend each day that I wake up? Yeah. I love that. I do like that. The one spin on the merry-go-round. That's good. I like that. Cause it's so true. Right. I always say, I only have so much sand. It's the same thing, you know, but it did give people pause and go, wait a second. What are my priorities? And am I really like, if I think about what I value most in life, am I really having the opportunity to do that or not? Or am I going along to get along? And for what reason? I think it, made a lot of people take stock of kind of where they were or where they are. And do we, do I really need to do that? Yeah. And I think we probably need to rethink the term about the the meaning of career. Uh, I think Mm -hmm. a lot of us think of it in in sort of ancient days. So uh, in our grandfather's day, you, you know, you went to work for a company and you worked there for 40 years until you retired. And then I think maybe for, closer to our generation, we picked a field that we wanted to have a career in, but we weren't as loyal necessarily to stay with the same individual company, nor was the company that loyal to make sure we had that future. And now I think the percentage of people that need to work and have to work maybe is significantly higher than we have a tendency to think about. So back to Scott's point, So how do I balance that requirement to work? But at the same time, I'm not going to benefit historically the way previous generations benefited. And so I need some balance now. In other words, I need to, in that old adage, is it worth my time? You know, people say that all the time. It's not worth my time to do this. And I think they're getting more intensely examined on that point. I love that. Yeah. Um, and and when I think about it, um, just kind of thinking about what both of you are saying, you know, when I now that I've taken stock, I've been forced to stay home or, you know, whatever. Or, but I've really had time to pause. We live such busy lives that most of the time we're so busy doing, we don't have any time to just be and really think about or process. We're just doing things because We've always done those things and we think they're necessary and are they really? But those things now, maybe my values are different than when I took the job. Maybe, maybe what's important to me isn't what's important, you know, now is not what's, what was important to me then. And I think it really forced some of these. I spoke to somebody yesterday. I was telling, um, 
you all that it was incredible, very successful person, very successful, how you would look at success from outside looking in, right? Uh, a high level position, uh, upward climbing person within a company, um, a very well to do. Their salary is a high, who said, I am miserable. This is not what it means to have a thriving life. I quit. And they now have four part-time jobs doing different things that they really love. So again, back to kind of Ron, what you're saying, like I picked a career field and I'm staying in that. I might not stay at every, but I'm doing the same thing. I think we're seeing a lot of people like branch out and say, hey, I have talents to do lots of things. I want to try little pieces and I'm putting together a life that makes me happy of the things I really enjoy with a lot less stress because I'm in charge. Yeah, I would would say also kind of like it's just shifted in the world we live in now. Anyway, I think growing up and maybe even like my parents, you know, it's like you've had like this is a set career path. This is what you do. But now, especially like with social media, everything on the Internet mostly a lot of e-commerce, you know, part-time gig work type of work. You don't have to have that set nine to five corporate life job anymore. And especially if you're looking for more financial freedom, not being tied solely to just a salary. So they may be looking for other kind of passive income or alternative methods to kind of fund their lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, that's, that's a good one, Samantha. Very interesting. Let's look at a, a probably a real life example, but an economic so we can have a context for how an individual might start thinking about that balance and what it's worth to them to work. So let's assume somebody at $15 an hour. Mm-hmm. We're talking about $600 a week. Now we think about the fact that you've got 7% FICA tax. You know, I have 2 or 3%, 4% state tax. I might have children, which now I've got to pay $10,000 a year for them to, uh, you know, child care. Mm-hmm. I guess about $10,000 a year for that or the preschool. And then I've got to worry about picking them up, getting there on time, those kinds of things. And then at the same time, I've got my health care cost. And so I probably... If I'm working, I'm getting that. So I don't qualify for a subsidy. Start taking all those things into consideration. I might be working for two, three thousand dollars a year. Yeah. I think that's like common, a common thing of thinking too. Like, so I have two young kids, and I, I know among my friends too, of like, you know, for like the working mom to be like, is it really worth it for me to go back to work? Or am I going to be paying more in daycare than I would be taking home? So, yeah, right. so, I mean, just kind of what you're saying, Ron. Yeah. So, what, but one of the variables that puts pressure on that type of decision, though, is, is the impact on retirement security in a, in a one income household family versus a two income household family. And that, um, you know, the wage, the cost of daycare is something that, you know, I'm wrestling with right now, Sam, I know you've wrestled with it, Ron, Annette, everybody, everybody here has wrestled with it probably at some point. Um, uh, it's, it's substantial, but also to lose the opportunity to have income going into a 401k 
that's growing year over year, you know, hopefully exponentially uh, over yeah. the course of a long period of time can have substantial impacts. And we were discussing this before we hopped on the hop before we hit the record button. Um, you know, when you look at where we are right now versus where we were 40 or 50 years ago is that we've, we've moved predominantly away from defined benefit retirement programs where, you know, you work for a set number of years, you accumulate a defined pension payment uh, where that you're going to earn for the rest of your life. Uh, uh, you know, that kind that, type of deal really doesn't exist in the private sector. I, I don't really encounter it in the private sector anymore. It's still in the governmental sector, the public sector. Um, uh, occasionally, oh, no, I wouldn't even say nonprofits. I, I don't even really occasionally encounter it with nonprofits. It's mostly um, uh, market-based retirement savings in a defined contribution format. The amount of savings that you need to put away in order to be secure over time are, are pretty substantial. They usually recommend about 15% of your income um, in order to be in a position to retire with a, with some dignity down the road. You know, that, that pressure of, of needing to put that money away in, and, and put it in the market and get it working um, gives individuals a sense of realization of time when they don't feel like they're in a position where they're able to do that. So, so, you know, the decision of, of dropping out of the workforce to, to, to take care of kids because daycare is more expensive is a very real decision that has daily impact at the expense of losing the opportunity to save long-term through two in, incomes, even if you're, even if you're, you know, uh, uh, doing the, the balancing act between daycare. But then beyond that, just for any individual who's looking at their retirement account and saying, am I on track? If the answer is no, there, you can understand why somebody would look elsewhere and and jump for more money or jump for an opportunity to earn more because it's it's really on us now because there isn't that defined benefit relationship anymore. Yeah, so, so I that, think also just tying into that, you know, just having more flexibility, like kind of going back to daycare. I mean, this is you know true to me because I'm living in it right now. But like with COVID and that, I mean, my kids have a cough; they can't come back until they have a negative test. So to me, to have you know that kind of flexibility in your workplace to be able to, Hey, I, you know, have to take care of my kids because of, you know, the circumstances that we're in right now. So to your point, Scott, and to Sam's point, so actually, as you were talking about that long-term 10, 15%, you've actually probably taken my example down to the individual seeing that they're making zero. Because mm-hmm. now if I'm now if I'm putting ten, <laughs> yay, <laughs> and so from the employer standpoint, I guess the challenge is how do you get somebody to balance the long term with that short term that I can worry about the long term later. And, and I think that's what a lot of people are going. It's hard to get somebody who's got five thousand dollars in a four hundred one k to appreciate uh, the fact that one day it might be three hundred thousand dollars, and it'll make a difference. You know, I'm listening to this too, and I'm thinking about all the people who I've ever heard who's uh, who who continue to say, "Oh, I'm never going to retire. <laughs> I can't. I can't afford to retire." I'm never going to retire. I mean, I think that is predominantly the the majority of people. I don't see myself ever retiring for one, either because they don't want to. Right. There are people that they don't want to. They want to always be doing something and they feel that they can make money at doing something. Right. Um, 
or they just know they don't have to run to your point. They don't, they don't have that kind of, and they don't have the wherewithal to ever have that kind. So they know they're going to work. So then I think about, well, then what am I going to work at? Something which I, is high stress that doesn't allow me to spend time where I want to spend time, right? Or that prohibits me from doing that. Or do I find something that I can balance the income with still being able to have a life, right? So I think these are all extremely interesting. <laughs> you know, that there's that whole spect- side of the spectrum too, right? So yeah, so I think this is tough. Well, yeah. that, that, what, what, go ahead. I was just, just going to say that the, you know, I think that we have a tendency in Ron's example to, to go to the really low end of the pay scale and, and, yeah. and, and scratch our heads with how we solve some of these problems at the low end of the pay scale. And there are ways to make it better. But um, at the end of the day, you know, $15 an hour is $15 an hour. And, and in 2021, it's not easy to accomplish, to check all these boxes if you're making $15 an hour. It just isn't. And I don't know that many adults dream of ending up at $15 an hour, and, uh, but it is a reality and it's something that we encounter all the time. And we we work with employers to put them on a course to at least give them a, 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 a direction where, where they're able to save and put some money away, if, if at all possible, for that individual, given their expenses. Yeah. But but we can't ignore the employees, the employees that are paid higher, who still feel like, who are paid significantly more money, but who still feel like, you know, when they have kids or they're caring for a parent or a family member right. uh, and they're serving as a caregiver, yeah. that, that, that they can't that they can't make it work and they're forced out of the workforce in, in, in those scenarios as well. So, so right now, what I'm experienced with a lot of the clients I work with is they're all looking at family leave policies and they're all looking at flex time policies. They're all starting yeah. to look at, look at, can I, can I either uh, uh, enhance my parental leave to make it uh, more manageable for somebody when they have uh, a child, for instance, or uh, they need to care for a sick family member, can I can I manage that in a way uh, that's a little bit more attractive to where I'm not forcing people to leave my company to look for it elsewhere? And then on the flip side, can I uh, uh, can I perhaps give a, a work schedule that provides more flexibility to be able to take care of the the home obligations and family obligations throughout the day? So those are two really uh, big things that companies are starting to look, yeah. look look at right now to try to make their culture a little bit more attractive. Yeah, yeah, Sam, you were going to say something. Yeah, I forgot what I was going to say, but I think, you know, kind of going with what Scott <laughs> is saying, you know, it's showing that kind of value in, you know, your biggest assets, your employees. Like, I think one of the reasons why people leave their career or their job is because they don't feel valued by their employer. So kind of showing that, hey, not everything has to be in dollars and cents. I don't need to be, you know, compensated so much, but having kind of that value or understanding that I have other obligations outside of my, you know, desk job or, you know, my nine to five, what I'm doing, you know, for the majority of my life. So just having that extra kind of like, yes, we understand and we value, we're going to offer these kind of flexibilities or these other benefits to support you in your, you know, outside life. This good, good, good point, yeah. Sam. Because if we just take if we just take the last five minutes of conversation, we talked about fifteen dollars an hour. We talked about management who really are career oriented. And I think the one takeaway then is 
if I'm a company, I need to know each employee and I need to understand what their value equation is. May not be able to meet them all, but I'll be making a better decision about the things Sam's talking about, Scott's talking about, you know, things you mentioned in that about how best to accommodate and appreciate that individual, whoever they are. Yeah, I love that because if I feel, uh, to your point, Sam, if I feel valued, like the time that I'm spending is worthwhile, my contribution is meaningful, I'm less likely to go wandering and looking for something else. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel that the time, again, it comes back to, is it worth my time? So, I mean, you know, that all comes full circle. So, um, let's let's kind of talk about what are some of the things we can suggest that employers can do here in thinking about um, all the things that we brought up. So, some what are what are our suggestions? So, um, one thing that we do here very well at One Digital are engagement surveys. Um, one Digital, uh, I, 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 forgive me if I get the exact cadence wrong, but let's say it's quarterly, uh, sends out a fairly comprehensive questionnaire that gives me the opportunity in an anonymous setting. It's, it's, it's been guaranteed that it's anonymous many times over <laughs> in an anonymous, set, in an anonymous setting um, to be able to give them insight into what we're dealing with and, and where we could use some extra help. And, um, and you know, I, it was the first time when I started working for One Digital that I had, I had actually been offered an engagement survey. So I was a little skeptical the first time I got it. Um, but importantly, yes, you were. Well, importantly, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Importantly, though, um, uh, the proof is in the actions that the company takes, and and you can see that that one digital when we give the feedback is 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 hearing us and is also uh, uh, true to considering it gives it gives it due consideration and then actually implements policies that reflect the the aggregate feedback that they're receiving back from the employees. So it has a, a high in my office in Philadelphia. It has a high level of credibility with our staff. And um, the most recent survey, engagement survey that we ran, they, they, got, they gave the company the highest marks they've ever received um, because of specific policies that, that made the workplace more enjoyable and took into account some of the challenges that some of the employees were dealing with. So a, a great first step, in my opinion, is putting some type of mechanism to be able to gauge survey and get uh, to be able to gauge, uh, I'm sorry, your employees' satisfaction, and uh, and 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 then have a method for uh, uh, taking the temperature and getting the, getting to hear what they're saying. If if they have confidence in the process, uh, they'll tell you what's going on, mm-hmm. and they'll build the programs for you. So, <laughs> yeah, and and you're right. So engagement's a really important uh, topic. And there's, there is actually a difference in satisfaction versus engagement. Engaged employees are people who bring other people to work there because it's so great. They have an emotional attachment to the company. That's just not the place. It's not just a place I work, but I'm emotionally tied to the company. So uh, engagements, I can satisfaction, I can check the box. But there's a little bit different as you go to to being an engaged employee. And so measuring that, there's a very specific science to that. But knowing that and then figuring out what to do and then telling people what you learned along the way, which I think is the critical piece. Here's what you all said. And so here's what we're going to try. And here's what we're going to do. I think becomes really important. I love that. That's really good. What else? 
Well, it speaks to the it speaks to the management. It speaks to how important the management is. Um, I think you coined a phrase earlier before we started recording of promoting to failure. Mm-hmm. Uh, it may have less to do with how well you've done your job and more to do with how capable you are of being able to recognize these traits and communicate these things to the employees so that they they get that engagement feeling and and you can guide them and be successful through leadership as opposed to authority. Yeah, kind of touching yeah. on that, Ron, too, I was thinking, you know, like, I think, you know, it's often been ingrained that you just have to keep moving up the ladder. Like, if you want to go anywhere within the company or if you want to grow and, you know, additional compensation, the only kind of pathway is up. So, naturally, you have to be a manager. But I have friends, you know, that work at other companies and specifically, like, engineers, like, they don't want to be a manager. So, if they're asking for a promotion, they don't want to be promoted to a manager, but, you know, they've heard from their companies to say, the only way you can make more money is to be a manager. Well, at that point, they're just going to say, well, let me look elsewhere, you know, where I know that I can still do what I'm doing, not managing people, but still make that extra money. So, kind of for employers is to look at you know, maybe lateral or other kind of growth opportunities, what, you know, development are you going to provide for your employees that doesn't mean that they have to go into a management level position? Yeah, yeah that's, a, been one of the, that's been one of the downfalls for most employers is this, um, this, this strange structure we have, which places managers, like in order to move forward, like you said, Sam, uh, you've got to become a manager. The problem is that being good at that job and, and what you know, was a promotable event because you're, you've done so well, you've, uh, you've advanced, et cetera, does not necessarily make you a good manager. There are different skill sets. There's different things required. And uh, very often we promote to that manager. People take it because they're like, well, that's the only way to get uh, get ahead. So I guess I better take it. And they're totally ill-equipped to do that. We don't help them figure out how to do that or whether they can or even have that ability. And as Gallup will tell you over and over, 70% of the variance in engaged versus non-engaged employees is directly attributable to the manager, not the company. So we companies overlook training their managers, helping them develop and making sure that they're the right, they have the right talents and desires to be a manager in the first place. So I, I love that. Scott, you were going to add something as well. <clears throat> So I was going to say, you know, somebody at Uber said, you know what, maybe it's not a good idea to have a visceral transaction for tipping, at least when Uber first started. That person may not be a manager, but that person is a genius who should be kept on, who should be kept on staff and and should be uh, uh, promoted and, and, and valued, but maybe they're not a manager, but you need that person on your team. And that person may bring skills that are uh, incredibly valuable to the team uh, that does not include overseeing the productivity of other employees. I love that. That's (laughs) awesome. So kind of wrapping up for our employers then, understand whether your employees are engaged or not. And if they're not engaged, why not? And what can you do about it? So engagement is really important. Spend time and develop 
in development of your managers. They're the most important when it comes to the engagement of your employees in the first place. They have to feel valued. They have to have the tools and they have to be the right people. Look at your structures to make sure you're not forcing people into roles just to be able to feel that they've been promoted or gotten ahead that they're not equipped for, nor do they want. So kind of take a look at how do you how do you advance people and help them to develop with what they're great at and really make sure you have the right people in the right places. Um, so I think those are our big takeaways for, for this piece. So thank you all. And thanks for joining us. We will, in the next four uh, episodes, tackle the other four areas of the of well-being so community social health and financial so join us next time thanks and thank you all for tuning in staying on top of compliance today can be the source of great concern and frustration our dedicated team of attorneys and experts look around the corner on your behalf and deliver the tools education and resources needed to help you plan for the future and protect your employees in business every day You can access additional resources, employer advisory sessions, and podcasts on our website, onedigital.com. Stay safe and healthy, and we'll see you next time.